Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I am Dr. Bobby Pritt, a clinical microbiologist and the Vice Chair of Education for the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. With me today is Dr. Bill Maurice, the Chair of the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic and the President of Mayo Clinic Laboratories. This is our weekly discussion with Dr. Maurice in which we learn about updates in laboratory testing during the COVID-19 pandemic. Thank you for being here with us this week, Dr. Maurice. So things are continuing to move quickly. We're now in June, um, entering our sixth month in a world with COVID-19, which is yeah. just amazing. Blows my mind. It's crazy. Yeah. And people, of course, are very anxious to get back to work and restart our economy. And there are a lot of questions about how we can use our existing laboratory tests to accomplish this. And I think this is particularly timely now in the state of Minnesota, as this is the week where more businesses have been able to reopen to some extent. So now, as you know, we have two main types of testing at this point, molecular testing and serology, with some others on the horizon. How do you envision that we could use these two types of tests to help uh, restart our economy? Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's an interesting question. Uh, in, I mean, it goes back to what we know the utility of those tests are for clinical practice um, and clinical medicine, with the molecular testing really being to detect the virus itself. Uh, and the serologic testing to, to detect if someone has been exposed to the virus and generated a detectable humoral immune response. Um, you know, but with that understanding, now we're trying to, the big thing is that we're asking different questions with those same modalities, right? Because it's much different to have a, in, in a care setting, to have a provider with a, with a patient, with an individual where they have a differential diagnosis and they're using the testing to narrow their thinking or to guide the appropriate treatment. Whereas now we're talking about using those same tests to, in a much more a public health, and for lack of probably the best term to use, a diff, much different application than most diagnostic tests are typically created for. And so we have to really keep in mind the strengths and weaknesses of those different tests and what they tell us and what they don't. Because people will be drawing conclusions that are much different, again, than it is a patient care setting. Right, that's a good point. It's really community health, um, epidemiology, public health, rather than individual health. And then, of course, we get into the problem with things like how the prevalence of a certain disease could impact uh, the number of false positives and false negatives a test could produce. Yep, I think there's a big, um, and this will be important for labs, because whatever conclusions we make, it will really either reinforce or erode public confidence in the ability of the lab to answer questions. So, if you look at uh, the molecular side, there's still a lot of questions around the clinical sensitivity of these different methods. So a lot of people are talking about saliva-based testing because it seems like it'd be the easiest way to do, you know, more for just screening of people for, for COVID, for SARS-CoV-2 virus, but yet we know the clinical sensitivity is not particularly high. And so what if you're a, a place of work, a, a, a ball team, for instance, uh, Major League Baseball, I had a conversation with someone, what does a negative spit test every day really tell you? Right, because it's mm -hmm. not going to it's it's not going to tell you that that person doesn't have SARS-CoV-2. It just tells you they have a negative spit test, right? <laughs> right. So, and then on the flip side, to, to serology, uh, what looks like good performance for most applications, when you start thinking about the specificity, when you're testing lots and lots of people who, through the success of social mitigation, there's now less exposure. To your point, you don't want to test that has the most higher likelihood. 
that someone's going to get the wrong answer. Right? They're going to be told they have a, you know, a COVID antibody when they don't. It's just a matter that 97% sensitivity or specificity look good until you started applying it to mostly negative people, right? Yeah. And so they, these are some of the things that are real nuances to testing that I think even our own providers sometimes struggle with. So uh, to try and get this now in the public forum where you're trying to not just educate healthcare, but you're trying to educate people outside of healthcare about how to use these tests, it's a pretty... I don't know, it's a daunting challenge, but it's a it's a it's an it's another in a long litany of unusual tasks that COVID has brought to the fore. Right, and you know it really plays to our role as educators in the laboratory. We need to educate other laboratorians, other uh, pathologists, scientists, but then our uh, our patient-facing colleagues that are ordering these tests, the general public, the patients who are trying to interpret these tests themselves. And I really like what you said about the clinical sensitivity versus the analytical sensitivity. And I don't know, do you want to elaborate on that a little bit just so that we all can really be able to explain that to someone else? Because people use that word sensitivity so loosely. Again, it's a somewhat nuanced concept um, in that the analytical sensitivity is that if so, if you just take in, in the lab developing the test, let's say for SARS-CoV-2, and you have a known amount of SARS-CoV-2 and you continue to go put lesser and lesser amounts into a test tube to test for, what is the least amount of SARS-CoV-2 that you can put into a specimen um, and detect it, that's gonna be your analytical sensitivity because you have a very tightly controlled situation. Clinical sensitivity is what's the chance that if, if I walk into an office or let's say I show up to my place of work, Mayo's gonna test everybody every day, what is the chance that if I have the virus that I will actually have a positive test. And that's influenced by more than just the sensitivity of the test itself. It's gonna be, how good is the specimen you got from Bill? How, how many days had he been infected? Was it just two days before and he had a very low level, the virus hadn't really taken off yet? I mean, these are all things that affect the clinical sensitivity. If you're gonna be making decisions about, not is Bill sick with SARS-CoV-2, but does Bill have SARS-CoV-2 in him that can infect someone else? It's a different question. And yet you can use the same answer for both. And I, as you were speaking, you know, one of the things they talk about laboratory medicine professionals is a doctor's doctor, meaning I think because what we do is has enough nuance and complexity that we're often explaining to other providers what the testing can and can't do or what we can see, say, or not conclude and not conclude from a lab test. And now we're doing it in a, again, a much bigger stage. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's a great time for us to be at the table more than ever now to talk about things like what is pre-analytical uh, variation mean and the whole concept of garbage in, garbage out. If the specimen is not obtained in a proper way, then you could have the most sensitive test in the world. But if the specimen wasn't obtained so that it actually collected the virus, you're not going to be able to detect the virus. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. And I also like the point you mentioned about testing, like when you test one day, what does that mean? Well, that's one point in time. And then you could go out and get infected that day. So unless you're going to test yourself every single day, it, you know, you don't yeah. really truly know the infectious status of someone over time. It's really just a point in time. Yep, exactly. Exactly. And that's, what I think, the nuance of this conversation. The two things I would say is, even in clinical medicine, we deal with probability. So you generate you know, a list of things as if you're seeing a patient, you generate a list of things you think they might have, and then you use a lab to narrow those things and draw, I mean, you know, get as conclusive as you can as to what, why the person is in your office. I mean, that's all based on probability. And now we're doing that the same thing with you know, COVID, COVID-19 and reopening like you know, Minnesota this week. What's the risk of someone, they go to a restaurant outside, you know, those sorts of things. 
and it's all about probabilities. There's not going to be any absolutes, and that's going to be very difficult for people to grapple with because there's no going to be no absolute stamp of certainty right now because everything is so new with SARS-CoV-2. Mm-hmm. We don't still don't know what humoral, what having antibodies really means for protection, right? We have some yeah. sense. We have some sense of probability that you're less likely to get sick with it, but there's no absolute there. So uh, dealing with that, and then also the other piece of it is really widening the aperture of those discussions to be not just a provider, you know, laboratory into provider, but now thinking on the one end, laboratory into society and to people and to the public, and on the other, laboratory to employer, right, or to place of business. So those are all different conversations, and I think your point, we have to be willing to be in all those different locations. Yeah, so given that this really is the time for laboratorians, laboratory scientists, pathologists uh, to get out and talk about our tests that we understand probably better than anyone, we know the strengths and weaknesses of them. What can the laboratory do to help guide how our tests are used for clinical decision-making, public policy, and even help guide how future tests are created so that they can best serve our patients? Excellent question. I think the most important thing, honestly, is first and foremost, if someone's asking you about the testing, COVID testing, do not make assumptions about what they know or do not know, even if it sounds like they do. And so mm-hmm. to really be, and not be afraid to interject yourself into a conversation, even if they don't really ask about those things. So let's say at Mayo Clinic, because of my role, there are other employers who are approaching Mayo Clinic about how can you help us with our workforce, uh, get them back to work. They might not be asking, they, they might come to me and say, Bill, how much testing can we do? How much serologic testing can we do? When will dry blood spots be ready to do, to do testing, you know, at the home? And it's like, well, if we're going to have that conversation, we also have to have the conversation about what is the sensitivity and specificity of a dry blood spot versus an in-lab test? What question are you trying to answer with that test? Because all these are going to be used to inform their policies, right? Their HR policies, um, talking to more HR people probably in the la- outside of Mayo, not that I have to talk to HR too much inside of Mayo, but more HR people outside of Mayo than I ever have and operations people and things. And it's, you know, you really, they're making drawing conclusions based on what they think they know, but you just have to be really open to have those, even that we're at a time all of us are probably busier than we've ever been, but you cannot be reticent to either ask questions of people when they're asking you about tests to see what they really have in mind for doing with the test. And then also making the time to be at meetings and things where these things are discussed and not being afraid to, to voice concern in a respectful way. If you feel like, if you, I mean, and honestly, if people are well-informed then they should be able to answer your questions. So I think that's a big thing. Excellent points. I, I really like what you said too about don't assume that they necessarily know all the caveats. You could probably phrase it in a respectful way and just say, well, you probably know this, but let me just explain and then set the stage and make sure everyone is on the same page. Even getting back to something like the difference between clinical sensitivity and analytical sensitivity and the fact that clinical sensitivity depends on the type of specimen, the quality of the specimen and the time course in illness that the specimen was obtained. Yep. The other thing I would say to that, yeah, you know, to that point, uh, Bobby, is that like in any conversation, you're such a great communicator, you're really good at this, but to really try and understand uh, the context of the question. Uh, so, and, and to ask clarifying questions in those conversations, mm-hmm. as a, for instance, because honestly in healthcare and medicine, we, and we tend to deal in absolutes by, by and large. So if someone's talking to you about a spit test, in your back of your mind thinking, well, they keep asking about the spit test and we know that's not a great test. 
you say, are you asking about that test because you think it's more convenient? Or what do you think, you know, just asking some exploratory questions to, to try and get at, because a lot of these are people that are pulling literature and they're pulling a couple papers, right? And they're just gonna try and conclude. Uh, now, or not being assured, afraid to share when we don't know what we don't know. So what does right. a positive PCR test mean or molecular test after someone's serum converted? We still don't know how infective those people really are, right? That's the new literature coming out. So mm -hmm. just asking a lot of questions. And I, I don't think you should ever, I think I've heard from people, well, I'm the expert there. I'm supposed to go there with the knowledge, the font of knowledge. And I don't know. I don't, I don't think you should ever be afraid to just ask questions. Yeah, excellent points. Really just real life types of uh, advice. Well, <laughs> thank you, Dr. Maurice. Um, it's great, as always, to have you here with us today. Yeah, as always, it's my pleasure. So thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Bell. Thank you all so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday. Also, please join us for our special COVID-19 town hall called The Latest in COVID-19 Testing, featuring a live question and answer session on June 9th from 2 to 3.30 Central Time. The registration link will be included at the bottom of the show notes under resources.